and welcome back to another edition of what I like to call from nonsense to God sense, where we take a look at the things of this world and we try to look at them through a biblical perspective. And joining me as always is Dan Delzell. Dan is a um, author at the Christian Post, writes many articles there, and he's also a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. And Dan, one of the one of the things I've seen on social media lately is people have put out there if there's one thing that you don't want to hear, one term or one idea something like that, that you would no longer want to hear when this whole COVID thing goes away, the lockdown goes away, that we're all suffering through, uh, that we've talked about. What's like a term or word that you wouldn't want to hear? And social distancing is one that pops up quite a bit. People are tired of hearing the term social distancing because we're just being inundated with the term social distancing. But, um, But as we talk today, one of the things that is kind of interesting is taking that context of social distancing from this world and putting it through the biblical perspective of when Jesus was on earth, did Jesus social distance and what does that actually mean? And oftentimes we have to look at examples. You know, if we're talking about something, maybe a lot of people now are talking about, you know, the COVID-19. And so you go and you get a news story and on social media, you'll post a news story and people will talk about it. So there's always some sort of uh, article or something that people refer to because otherwise you just go off on tangents and you just start expressing your own opinions and we don't know if they're right or wrong. So if you have in the academia world, for example, a source that you can refer to Mm -hmm. and you can put it out there, then people have context to know what you're talking about. And so um, for us, for people that uh, read the Bible, the Bible is the context. The Bible is the article, so to speak, that you refer to so that people can have an understanding of what it is that we're actually talking about. And when we people hear, did Jesus practice social distancing? You know, there could be many people thinking about many different things, but, but it's kind of the idea of what it's talked about in Mark that we're going to talk about here today when it comes to Jesus practicing social distancing. Yeah, you, you, you know, son, uh, in Mark 2, verse 15, We read, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what we see here is that um, Jesus was not distancing himself from from any of the folks here. I mean, you know, from his own disciples, of course, but also uh, these these uh, religious leaders um, were were right there as well. Um, we're, we're, we're told that um, they were they were witnessing this. They saw this going on. Uh, that Jesus was interacting with these these people that were you know kind of like the outcasts as far as the religious leaders were concerned, and rather than distancing himself from them, um, Jesus was was connecting with them, bringing them his grace and and just uh, his his love because he came here to save, uh, as he said there in this passage, uh, he came here to save sinners, he came here to heal the sick who are sick in soul. Uh, and, and with our sin, it, it brings a sickness. It, it's made us sick uh, to the point that is so far beyond, you know, COVID. Um, you know, I mean, yes, that can, that can take a person's physical life, but, but sin can destroy the soul in hell. Uh, sin permeates uh, our, our being. Um, we were born into sin. Um, we're all guilty of sin, and yet Jesus came to save us who are sinners. So he used that word 
um, their uh, sinners that the Pharisees kind of held that over people. And, and if anybody could have held that over people's son, it would have been Jesus. But instead, he reached down to those lowest uh, so-called folks in society. And he said, hey, this is who I came for. Um, they know they have issues. I'm here to help them. I'm here to save them. So uh, a beautiful example where Jesus not only didn't practice social distancing, but, but he went for those that, that some in the society in that day wanted nothing to do with whatsoever. I think that's an example for us in this day and age, too. It's like, you know, there are people there that, like, well, I guess this, let, me, let me put it in terms of this way right now. We have labels of essentials, people that can go to work, and non-essentials, people that their job really isn't considered an important part of society, so you're not working, you're staying home. So, you know, labels are put upon two groups of people at this time. But then yeah. as we go uh, a little bit further into society, you might have people that are maybe considered less desired. You're homeless, uh, out on the streets, maybe you have a criminal past, maybe there's something else going on. And so we start to put these people in these different categories, and then we judge them according to the category that we put them in or the, the label that we label them with. And so then we want to associate ourselves in our human nature with people that are going to make us look good, that are going to be acceptable, of, other, of outsiders look at us. And here, uh, Jesus is going to the very people that were being condemned by religious leaders, that were outcast by normal society. And these were the people that Jesus were ministering to, probably setting the example amongst other things that, hey, people are people, and we need to make sure that we focus on everybody, no matter who it is, but especially those that are downtrodden, maybe can't take, the, take care of themselves, and those that might be the less desired, because those are the people, the sinners, that Jesus came because those are the people to me, in my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but those are the people I think that are open to Jesus. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're not struggling, if you're not having any problems, you don't need to rely on Jesus so much when you are struggling and having issues, you know, that's when you're going to focus on God more because, you know, like you've mentioned in the past, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes. That's when you're going to need yeah. Jesus. That's when you need God to help you. And so to me, I just kind of take that example as, you know, it doesn't matter who the person is. Each and every person, you know, we can invest in and we can be a part of and we can witness to and we can, you know, share the gospel message with, but also just in daily life, you know, we can befriend people and we can just let our actions and let our, uh, our, our actions and our words be the testimony of who Jesus is just through loving these different people that we come across in life. You know, I think that's very well said, Son, and it, it leads me to think of, of several things uh, from Scripture uh, you know, you know the, the first of those being that when when Christ's love is is within us, um, we we are looking at people as people, not not looking down on certain types of people or certain types of sinners. You know, it, it's so ironic here that the Pharisees in this text they weren't concerned at all about the, the spiritual well being or any kind of well being for these tax collectors and sinners, whether they be prostitutes or whatever they may have been. Um, and from case to case, but they were only worried about why would Jesus eat with them? You know, so it was all for them about, you know, status and how others might view them and, and how some people are not supposed to be, you know, looked upon, uh, you know, the, the, the same way as, uh, as those maybe who are the, the so-called uh, upper crust of, of either religion or society. And, and, you know, it also makes me think of when the Bible uses the word um, judging, you know, so often today people misunderstand that and they'll say, you know, well, you, you know, you can't judge me and this and that. And, and um, what, what people don't understand many times 
is that we're judging others when we just even just look down on someone uh, and, and, and assume that we're better than them. Um, you know, now in the Bible, of course, you know, God many times uh, in his word and through his messengers, he'll confront sin. And, and uh, that's, not, that's not judging someone uh, to simply confront sin. Judging has to do with, you know, what's in my heart when I do it. Um, am I looking down on someone? Uh, I mean, frankly, son, I mean, most of us aren't called to point out the sins of, of, of very many people at all. I mean, you know, obviously, if you're a preacher, a teacher, you know, you, you're called to um, to address it there in, in that uh, in that form and that uh, call that you have. If you're a Christian, you know, it says uh, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Um, but but. Typically, you know, it's not our job to go out of the way and be pointing out the sins of others. It's only when the Lord maybe puts us in a situation where, as I say, either as a preacher or as a teacher, obviously, then you're confronting, you know, sin all the time, you know, from the pulpit, from your teaching. Um, but as individuals, it would be more in maybe a relationship, a friendship, a family member. And even then, we have to be careful because, you know, you'll hear people say, like I said, you can't judge me. Well, um, they, they misunderstand the, the meaning of that word, uh, but at the same time, there are there are those, of course, who are very arrogant, uh, holier than thou, you know, sanctimonious. They look down on others. They do judge others by their very attitude, the way these Pharisees were. So, uh, one of the things that can help us, I think, as Christians, to um, to practice biblical social distancing, is where on one hand the Bible says, "Come out and be separate," you know, uh, "Do not be unequally yoked." So we we can be careful that. We, we, we don't just have um, our, our relationships exclusively with those maybe who don't share our same spiritual foundation. Um, because if that's the case, you know, we're, we're going to tend to get pulled too much into maybe um, some activities uh, or at least be tempted to be involved in things that are not going to build us up in our faith or be a good witness. Um, and so the, the trick, if you will, for the Christian is how can I make some meaningful connections and relationships with unbelievers? who don't share my same spiritual values yet, let's say, or certainly at least not the same foundation, uh, how do I do that while not uh, being unequally yoked, uh, while not um, having my heart so just filled with, you know, the way the world does things, you know, 24-7, that I'm not um, building myself up in the Word and in Christian relationships. Um, and, and, and so we're not called to be hermits. We're not called to just, you know, uh, go and, and, and live behind closed doors and not interact with the world. Jesus didn't do that. We're not called to do that. Um, but there has to be a balance there. And, and whenever we are, um, you know, reaching out, uh, even in this lockdown period, you know, uh, either by phone or in person, whenever we're doing that, we just want to be careful that we're not showing favoritism, that we're not, you know, consciously or subconsciously, putting groups of people or individual people in our minds, well, you know, that's that person or they're that type of person. And so, you know, I mean, it's that very person then that God is probably going to show us that that's some, that's an attitude you need to change, you know, because, because you are, you are judging them. You're, you're looking down on them because maybe they're different than you or maybe they are caught up maybe in some sin or, or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, it, it's just an ongoing challenge, isn't it? You know, this Christian life to maintain an attitude of Christ, of humility and and not a judgmental, holier than thou, self righteous attitude like we see here with the Pharisees here in Mark chapter two. See, I think that's where we have to kind of be careful in the responsibility of perhaps the older people, maybe guiding younger people. Because when I was growing up, there was kind of a sense of it's our duty to judge, not in a sense of point them out, but it's like, hey, you're doing wrong. Let me correct you. 
And, and that might not be the best case to go about doing it because it tends to turn somebody off. Now, just by example, the way you live your life, the way you maybe conduct yourself, the person that you're with or the person that is maybe doing something that you don't think is right might come to an understanding of what they're doing is wrong and maybe change it. Maybe their lifestyle, maybe if they're in a sin, maybe if they have some sort of issue that they're dealing with. But you mentioned the fact that maybe it's not always our job to sit there and condemn them of what they're doing. And maybe it's just to come alongside and be the example, the alternate, okay? Yes. Uh, of, of what could be. And I don't really know of a good example, but I know people like stories, analogies, and examples. So let's say there's somebody who has a, um, a gambling uh, addict or is, a, is an alcoholic. And so, yep. you know, they like to drink a lot. And so maybe when you're around them, instead of going and taking them to a place where there would be alcohol, maybe you kind of show them what life can be like without it and that how much fun there could be without it. Because then instead of just judging them, hey, you're drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking, it might not be your place to be that person to constantly be on them for that because it's going to maybe further drive them into their behavior as a rebellion or as a, hey, I'm going to do what I want or just I'm tired of listening to these people. Instead, maybe you invite them into an environment where it's like, hey, look at what we're going to do here. And you just have your experience with them in another environment, and then they can see the alternatives. And I know that's not the best analogy, but it's just something out there where instead of just judging and condemning, maybe we bring them to a point where they have an understanding of what they're doing is wrong. Because a lot of times Jesus just led by example. I mean, you know, you sent a a, a message from John 8, chapter 6 through 11, when, you know, these people bring the woman, and then eventually they're going to accuse her of adultery, and they want to stone her. And then Jesus is like, you know, hey, where'd your people go? You know, your, your accusers. And they, he, she looks around and they're gone. And he's like, go, I don't condemn you either, you know. And so he's not yeah. one to, you know, condemn people in a manner. Now he will one day be judging people. God will judge people. But, but the way we approach people, his relationships weren't judgmental. They weren't condemnation. They were out of love. But he also spoke with truth because I think he came not to be popular, but to be yeah. real, speak the truth in love and let people know what's up. Yeah. And he, he did that all the time, didn't he son? You know, and I definitely uh, think that that's a great example for us to discuss of the woman caught adultery. Uh, I look forward to us doing that here um, in a moment. Before we do that, I, I wanted to just follow up uh, when you were uh, talking there about, um, you know, just kind of being around people um, and just kind of establishing that relationship with them. Maybe initially, maybe you're not even saying a whole lot yet about, you know, about the Lord or the word or anything, you know, I find it interesting in Mark two that, you know, Jesus here was having dinner at Levi's house and and that these tax collectors and so-called sinners were eating with him. Um, You know, it it doesn't say that Jesus was preaching to them right there in that moment, um, but he was connecting with them. I mean, you know, sometimes um, before we even have an opportunity to preach to some folks or talk to some folks or witness to some folks, it's going to be just, um, you know, having some uh, some relationship building and and really just meeting people where they are where they're at um, and and also uh, you think about son all the testimonies that Christians bring to the table. Um, you know, the, the one that's in my mind right now um, is one that I've seen on on TV in the last week or two. Um, and, and of course, anybody who watches TV at all probably has seen. You know the, the the commercials from you know Mike Lindell and and the My Pillow uh, advertisements that that are on all the time and a very successful company. Um, and as it turns out, you know Mike Lindell today is a very uh, strong Christian, and so he has this long kind of um, I don't even want to call it a commercial, but this long message uh, 
that is not selling pillows, but is basically telling his life story in, in, in a nutshell, but in, in a book that he's written uh, where it talks about him going from crack addict to CEO. And, and you know, every time I've seen Mike Lindell speak, and in this commercial, just is, is phenomenal what they've done with it, but he, he just comes across as, as somebody uh, who um, he, he, he's been, he's been in addiction. He, he's been in a place where, you know, his life could have easily ended. I forget how many car accidents he was in, you know, but, um, but just a guy that knows how far God has brought him. And, and so you just can sense a deep appreciation and humility within him that, that he knows that all this success that he has, and it's primarily the spiritual success. I mean, you know, worldly success with a business is nothing compared to knowing Christ and then having eternity with him. But, but it seems as though, you know, he, he's gotten both now. And, uh, you know, both business success, but more importantly, spiritual success, but I would just encourage anybody, if they've not seen it, to, to, to watch that because um, I can only imagine that if somebody maybe, let's say, who is right now, maybe they're a crack addict, uh, and they listen to that and they say, wow, you know, if, if God can do that in his life, you know, maybe he can do that in my life. Uh, you know, right before we started today, son, I was on a, a long phone conversation with um, <clears throat> a friend of mine who called, and we haven't connected for a number of months, but he, he had moved up to Wisconsin and uh, we used to pray a, a lot and, and minister a lot here. Um, uh, and anyway, uh, you know, he, he, he came through uh, addiction in his life. And, and now, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, living for Christ. And, and yet he has a, 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 a way that he can connect with some people who are going through what he's been through. And, and sometimes I think, you know, like the, the Pharisees in the New Testament, like maybe some religious folks today, if they haven't necessarily been down and out uh, with, with some, you know, real notable addiction or something like this. It's almost like may, maybe they think, well, I, I'm better than, this, than these people I'm witnessing to because I'm not like them when, you know, they don't realize how bad their pride is, is making them in God's eyes. And they're really not, they're, they're not qualified to present any kind of a witness. Yeah, that's the thing, the temptation that we have to kind of uh, avoid and the pitfalls not to step into is thinking that we're better than somebody because our lives are better. I've often uh, witnessed people and, and myself included that I'll go through life and when I need God, I need God. When I don't, I don't type of thing. And so I'll see people that have come through addiction and they'll be in church or they've had some sort of hardship where they really lost everything. And there's a local home uh, for women, and they've been attached to this church that I go to. And so I've seen them come in, and I've seen them share their testimonies. And it really is remarkable just how much more someone that has gone through something, maybe yeah. a drug addiction, yeah. maybe you know even imprisonment, prostitution, whatever, and yeah. maybe lost their kids, how much more they rely on God. And then when they get rebuilt, you know, God builds them up again. They still yeah. have that strong desire to serve him because they know where they came from. Right. Well, like for me, I really haven't had too many hardships in life. I've been fortunate. Um, I've struggles, but not too many hardships, like no drug addiction or, you know, things like that. So I yeah. haven't really yeah. come from the, you know, the pits of society. Right, and and right. so, but, but there is a noticeable difference Sometimes when you hear the, the, the people speak, just how much they rely on him every day. There might be times when I'm driving down the freeway and I've got music going and I'm thinking about anything else than, you know, yeah. than God. And these people are constantly thinking about it. And like you said, with uh, the pillow guy, you know, he's, 
he's his commercial isn't by my pillow. It's here's my here's my story. And so right. I think the more right. we lose and the more Jesus the the trap is, I should say, it's not always, but the trap is yeah. to just become complacent because we don't go through struggles. But our example from these other people could be look at we need to have a faith and a reliance on God. Like yeah. these people here, because yeah, they might have come on earth through uh, a drug addiction, through a prostitution, through uh, losing their kids, through, you know, uh, spousal abuse. But yet in the afterlife, you know, together, God is saving all of us from hell, which we talked about a couple of podcasts ago. And so that's where the equality comes in and God's saving us. You know, he might save us from yeah. different aspects and different degrees here on earth, but in the afterlife. And so we should have that desire, that drive, that reliance on God, that we, that I see in these other people. And that's just for me that I take from it. It's because it's like a, it's like a check. It's like, wow, I might not have to rely on, in my own opinion, you know, God to get me through an addiction, but I need yeah. him to get me through this life because the afterlife is where in, e in eternity is where it really is all going to matter. And, you know, the person that comes to my mind more than anyone in, in that regard, son, who talked about pressing on toward that goal for which God had called him heavenward, of course, is the Apostle Paul. And, and I just firmly believe that one of the things, not the main thing, because that was just the strength of Christ, the grace of Christ in his life that propelled him forward through shipwrecks, shipwrecks and stonings and persecution and beatings and floggings and everything else, you know, uh, sleepless nights and, and so on and so forth. But I, I think one of the things that also was a motivator for him is how far he had been from Christ, how hard he had persecuted the church, um, just all of the evil that he had perpetrated um, that, that could lead him, this, this apostle who gave us, so, uh, you know, or God, I should say, used him to give us so much of the New Testament uh, in, in his epistles, and, and who he could honestly then refer to himself, even as an apostle, as the worst of sinners. You know, of course, referring to how he used to live. Um, he, he never claimed to be perfect in his new life, but, but you know, he, it, it seemed to keep him humble. It seemed to keep him uh, aware of where he came from. And, and, and so um, when we don't have an awareness of how far God has brought us, it, it can be easier to become proud. And this is where I think in some ways, you know, son, people who do come from farther down, when God does raise them up, it, it's, it's a little bit easier for them to stay humble because, man, they appreciate, they know how far they were from God, where sometimes if, if you and I don't have that or we just come out of more of a kind of a, you know, maybe a Christian upbringing and so forth, and and and, uh, but but not maybe any you know long stretches or periods of living a prodigal life or living away from God or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, maybe it's you know maybe we tend to take it for granted a little bit. You know, we take a look at some of the uh, the movies out there, pictures, things that rep represent Jesus being here on Earth. We get we get an image of what that world was like. And um, we get a picture of what the people were like around him. And then, of course, the Bible talks about, you know, just in his disciples, he had tax collector, he had fishermen, I think what Luke was a doctor. So it kind of gives us an idea of some of the people that were around him. But, you know, it's, it's that image that we see if it's, you know, the Jesus movie or other shows on television, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we get this picture. I was just curious, 
if Jesus was, and, and we're talking about Jesus social distancing, practicing social distancing, and it's not really the social distancing that you might be thinking of in terms of today, if you're listening to this, it's about social distancing with the people around him. Did he or did he not? Who did he really uh, be with and spend time with? And I'm talking with Dan Delzell, who's an author of the uh, Christian Post, writes many articles there. And, uh, and Dan, today, who do you think, what type of people, I know we know, but, but where do you think the places Jesus would go if he was on earth here in America walking the streets? Would it be down by Skid Row? Would it be the streets of Beverly Hills? You know, would it be everywhere? Because I think sometimes people kind of get lost in, okay, Jesus was in the olden days of Israel. But today, where do you think he might be? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, you know, you know, I think you mentioned a couple of them, son. Um and, and, and I think it would be with the doubt and out. It would be with the poor. Um, you know, it was interesting, um, you know, decades ago when uh, uh, I had the privilege to do some work uh, here in North Omaha on a summer ministry project and how the Lord really put on my heart a desire to reach the, the, the children that we've been uh, uh, working with with Vacation Bible School. Make a long story short, the Lord uh, led me to start writing some gospel rap lyrics and a buddy and I, we, we produced a couple albums. But where I'm going with that is I had the opportunity then in many different cities to, to, to walk through some different areas and, and just hand out uh, free gospel rap tapes. And, and there was just always so much power uh, of the Lord upon me. I mean, where you're at out there in Los Angeles. I mean, I remember because I, I, my, uh, my internship uh, from seminary, I spent nine months out there in Los Angeles in Inglewood. Um, there in Los Angeles. And, and I remember um, one day even walking through some housing projects. It, it might have been uh, in, in, uh, in Compton. I don't remember for sure. Uh, somewhere in that area, uh, Inglewood. And, um, but I just remember different occasions like that, and not just in Los Angeles, but um, going into some of those areas with my bag of tapes and handing out free tapes, you know, um, there was just so much power I would feel from the Lord. And this is kind of a side note, um, you know, uh, my, my uh, brother-in-law uh, uh, brought to my attention here uh, not too long ago, there's this uh, hip-hop artist, Flame, and a Christian hip-hop artist, and anyway, um, he had a little video where he was talking about his first exposure to Christian music. He, he was doing a concert, like in Texas, I think, and, uh, and anyway, um, he was telling about how uh, he grew up in St. Louis and how this, this uh, white dude came walking through with these tapes and giving out these tapes. And he was like seven or eight. And that was his first. And then he mentioned one of the songs that we did on there, God made sex. Um, and we had some different songs on there, about with the gospel and so forth. But, but what was so cool about that is what was motivating me and empowering me to go to, you know, different um, areas. And like, you know, flame described, you know, this white guy came through the hood and that was of course in St. Louis where he grew up. And that was, you know, back when I was going to school there, um, at seminary and I met my wife in St. Louis, but anyway, that was one of the cities I would walk through and give out tapes in, in different communities. And, um, and it was just, it was, but it was so rewarding to, to see that, that now this Grammy award winning, art, uh, winning, uh, artist who has, you know, hundreds of thousands of albums and he's, he's proclaiming Christ that, that it did. That's why we were doing it, you know, to, um, to reach, uh, to reach people, you know, with, with the gospel. And in many cases it was in, you know, urban areas and cities. I know I also went out to over a hundred schools and I felt so much power there as well, uh, doing assemblies and chapel services. Um, and, and I think, you know, you say, where would Jesus be today? I think he would be in the schools. 
I think he would be in the city. Uh, I think he would be in poor areas. I think he would be in, you know, in Hollywood. I, I think he would be at the homeless shelters. Um, you know, he, he wouldn't be at the, you know, uh, fancy gatherings of the, of the rich and famous or the important, but he would be where, you know, those are who, um, really need him and want him there. And, um, and so I just kind of share that little testimony about the gospel rap thing, because, um, you know, I think one way, one way that God confirms that he wants to be in a place is when you're ministering in a certain way area or to people or wherever it might be a certain type of ministry. And there's so much power of the Holy Spirit that you're, you're receiving to do just that. And I knew that, for example, with that gospel rap ministry, it grew out of just a love for those children, wanting to reach them more than just, you know, one day a week or whatever it was. But, and so wanting to get the word, the message to them. I mean, I'm, I wasn't a fan of rap music then, nor am I a fan now, but it was a medium by which to get uh, the message to them. And, and my only point with that is bloom where you were planted, use the gift God's giving you, um, you know, go into the city, go to the homeless shelter, go to, into the prisons. Um, I mean, I know when we did the Bible study here for five years in the county jail, I mean, there's always a lot of power in, in that. I mean, you just show up and the power of God is there uh, in that jail ministry um, just because of the nature of it, you know. And, and sometimes you can have a, maybe a, a religious gathering where, especially if there's something going on, maybe in the church or with people there or whatever. And, and, you know, it's like God's not even in the building, you know I mean? You know, cause maybe it's, it's become political or it's become this or that. And by political, I mean, just, you know, maybe just agendas, different agendas that aren't, you know, working together for the gospel. So, um, and I mean, I've been blessed 30 years as a pastor to see God show up many, many times, obviously on Sunday morning and, and throughout the, the, the weekly ministry of a church. But I'm just saying, when you get outside of the four walls and get out into the community, um, I mean, even to this day, if I go out in the community and hand out literature, uh, I mean, it's amazing, uh, you know, what God does um, when you're out there on the street, so to speak. And, and I know, Son, you and I are even talking about maybe a, a, a possible way to do a little bit of that ourselves maybe this summer when we're going to connect maybe here uh, in Omaha. And, uh, you know, we might even have something that you'll be reporting back to your folks on your podcast on there that just, you know, taking it to the street, you know, I think that's where we want to be. Um, that's where Jesus was, and that's where the people are, at least those who um, maybe need, need it the most and are ready for it. And see, that's where I was, you went right where I wanted to take you was the church. Sometimes we get too comfortable being inside the walls of the church building. And especially nowadays, because a lot of churches have closed down because of the virus, COVID-19, and things might be opening up a little bit more come you know Sundays now because people just want it. But we have to remember that Jesus wasn't in a church building. I mean, there was a time or two when he was in the synagogue, once to, you know, preach right. when he was 13 and once to overthrow the money changers uh, a couple times off the top of my head. But, you know, he was out amongst the people. And that's the thing that we have to remember is that we have to bring the church to the people and not necessarily yeah. wait for the people to come to the church because the church is the people, the body of Christ, not the building that we meet in. And, and Well, and I'll tell you, son, and you, you alluded to what was going on there in the John chapter eight with the woman caught in adultery. And you talk about the church being taken to the people. I mean, here's this woman that uh, the Pharisees brought who'd been caught in adultery. Um, you know, uh, they made her stand before the group. Uh, they say to Jesus, you know, Hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery uh, in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger 
when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Um, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and, and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, I mean, nobody took the church to the people better than Jesus. He came here. He gave his life for us on the cross. He rose again. And in his earthly ministry, he went to the people. And here's a woman that the Pharisees cared nothing about. She was just a pawn for them. They wanted to use her to try to make Jesus look bad or trip him up. That was their goal. Of course, they did not succeed. Uh, Jesus, in every instance where that happened, uh, he, he outsmarted them by a thousandfold because, you know, um, that's just the way, you know, things work. I mean, you, you're going to try and compete with God. You're going to try and fool God. Uh, you know, you're going to end up with egg on your face. It may be much worse than that if you're not careful. Uh, so here's this woman caught in adultery that, that society and, and these religious leaders were ready to toss aside or maybe even, you know, attempt to stone perhaps. But, but Jesus is there um, to, to love her, to meet her where she was at, to offer her his forgiveness, his acceptance, and then to send her out uh, to live a new life as, as a forgiven uh, sinner, as a forgiven saint, as a forgiven uh, believer in him, uh, which is always the call of discipleship, isn't it, Son? I mean, you know, um, we're, we're, we're never called into the family of God to just to live for sin. We're called into the family of God uh, to, to be forgiven and to go out there and, and live a new life as a new creation with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and God's power within us. So um, what an exciting opportunity this woman was being given here by Jesus. Um, what, a, what a beautiful message that has uh, brought millions of times over the centuries since that uh, event took place uh, to just let people know, hey, okay, we all mess up. Maybe you feel like that woman caught in adultery. Maybe you've really messed up. Uh, what does Jesus have to say to you? Well, um, look at what he said to her. And, and, and it was basically two things. Um, you know, in me, there's forgiveness. And in me, there's a new life. So if you like this whole package deal, you know, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. I mean, you know, that, that's the message. That's the call. Uh, repent and believe the good news. It's a free gift. And then go and, and let God help you. Uh, of course, none of us are going to live perfectly. Uh, you know, uh, we're not going to be completely free from any sinful thoughts or, 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 or uh, you know, wrong behavior. Uh, but, but it becomes our, our life mission now to live for the Lord and to live like Jesus because uh, he is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is, he is the one who's guaranteed our uh, eternal acceptance uh, into heaven, in paradise, a real place where we'll spend um, forever with God and, and all of his children. So in the meantime, he wants us to, um, to love people, not to condemn people, not to judge people, uh, not to social distance from, you know, from those that we think maybe are untouchable. Uh, you know, in India, they have that lower caste, you know, uh, that they you know, refer to as the untouchables. Okay. Well, we, we may not hear that, that word used a lot in America, but, but I'm sure for, for a lot of people, there are certain ones who are untouchables, whoever they are, uh, you know, maybe of a particular race or of a particular group or who are caught up in a particular activity or behavior or sin or whatever. So um, Jesus here came for all people. Nobody was untouchable, although it is interesting, Son, that, it, you know, 
uh, if there was if there was one group of people that Jesus did not uh, many times enjoy hanging around, it was those uh, those self righteous religious leaders. I mean, you know, he he that was not a group he he felt drawn to. I mean, you know, we could read a lot from the New Testament of you know Jesus saying things like you know you brood of vipers, uh, you know, and and uh, and just some really harsh words to them that they deserved to hear because but you don't ever find him saying that to the tax collectors and sinners. Why? You know, because they weren't walking around pretending that they had it all together. The religious leaders were. Uh, they didn't know they were pretenders, you know, but they were pretenders. And, and so Jesus had some very harsh words to say for them. And, and so we just want to be careful, Son, that we don't go through life pretending. That we don't, don't go through life pretending to be religious, pretending to be spiritual, and then find out one day I didn't even know God. You know, I never even humbled myself before Christ uh, to, to receive his forgiveness. I never got a new heart. I was always judging others. I was always looking down on others. I was always practicing social distancing from, from those sinners that I thought I was better than. And now here I find myself on Judgment Day being condemned, you know, because of my unbelief, because of my lack of repentance, because of my arrogance and, and how great I thought I was, rather than um, being like that one that just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, have mercy. And, and, and I tell you, you know, son, if those listening today, if you, my friend, will just say this, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It doesn't matter. I mean, what you've done, however great that sin may be, big or small, just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, you you know, maybe you're like that woman caught in adultery, you know, um, but, but Jesus here, he'll say to you today, um, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then just remember, my friend, you know, to practice uh, one very important type of social distancing, to, to remain strong in the Lord. And that is the kind that Jesus practiced when we're told he often withdrew. Uh, by himself to pray. Um, and, and, and that, my friend, is the type of social distancing you're going to need in your life going forward. You will need some times where you just get alone with God, where, um, where it's just you and the Lord, you and his word, um, you, you praying to the Lord and, and talking to the Lord, uh, because this, this is, uh, this is going to be a key, uh, to your, um, to your spiritual health and, and to just the, the fire of the Lord within your soul. Uh, and, and so in Luke 5, uh, uh, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I would encourage you, my friend, to spend some social distancing this week. Um, in addition to all the times talking to people, helping people, serving people, make sure you get some time alone to pray with God. It will be a key to maintaining just that, that fullness of the Holy Spirit's power in, in your life. We all need that. None of us ever, you know, we're, we're leaky vessels, D.L. Moody said. We need to be filled up every day. And God's word and prayer are going to be keys to us staying filled up so we can go out. And whether attending gospel rap tapes, going into a jail ministry, serving at, at the, at the uh, soup kitchen, or going out as a health care uh, provider and going in on the front line of the coronavirus today and ministering to people in, in my job as a, as a nurse, as a healthcare worker, whatever it might be. Um, we need to have some social distancing, some time alone with God. Uh, so that we're ready to do that. And God will help you. He'll help all of us to do that. And uh, we can be encouraged today that the Lord is using us and will continue to do so. I had a conversation one time as we're talking with Dan Delzell, the author of the Christian Post. And, and the conversation came up that, you know, as believers, the church should become more of a hospital and less of a courtroom. You know, um, mm. you, you know, we can have the balance, but, you know, we sometimes often want to get involved in the judgment and the courtroom aspect of the gospel. But yet maybe our job here on earth is to be more hospital and taking care of the people that are going through the, the, whatever it is they're going through, because then through that example, 
it might change a person's heart, which then can lead them to avoid the judgment of the of the courtroom. And I always thought that was kind of a fascinating kind of analogy to put to it. Um, because sometimes we do often, you know, it reminds me also of uh, Jesus at the well, you know, he approaches this woman and just asks for a drink of water that leads to a conversation that yeah. led, led to her probably having a life changing, uh, you know, moment. And it was just that right. natural approach of I'm thirsty, have some water. And then, you know, a conversation begins not coming up and judging right away and saying, Hey, look what you're yeah. doing, you know? And so I think that's just well, one of the, one it. of the lessons to learn from this. Well, and, and I'll tell you, son, Satan has done a masterful job working through certain, I suppose, Christians at times, and, and even many times misinterpreting or, or just um, pulling out, you know, little, little things from maybe a sermon or something a Christian said to try to paint the Christian in society as, as just, you know, um, you know, holier than thou and always just condemning other people. And so Satan has worked very hard to to put forth that caricature. I mean, sadly, there are some people, some professing Christians, I'll say, who um, who maybe that is how they act, and that is. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they, there are those that do that, and they do give a very bad name then uh, to the gospel, um, you know, because we're not called to go out there and just, um, you know, uh, speak uh, to others about how, how sinful they are and how wrong they're doing it. Um, we, we, we need to help people see we're all in this together all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, um, you know, and, and it begins in our heart, though, doesn't it? Because if we're not arrogant in our heart, then we're not going to tend to be arrogant in our manner or in our speech. But if there is arrogance in our heart, it is going to creep through, and people are going to pick that up. They're going to sense that. And so uh, we have to just let God deal with that. We have to confess that to God. And, and, and you know, here's just a simple test bound that any of us can take it any, any day, and that is this, you know, is there anybody in my life or in society that that, that, I, that I that I think, well, you know, I cannot honestly say that I'm as big a sinner as they are, you know, and and, and, and if, if we can't honestly say, you know, that I'm as big a sinner as this person or that group or whatever, then we really need to pray about that because that's a real problem. And it's only going to get bigger in our hearts um, because then that that we, we've either already started to judge them or we're on the verge of judging them. We're looking down on them. Uh, we're, we're condemning them in a way in our hearts. So we have to be careful that, yeah, uh, you know, it was Oswald Chambers who said in my utmost for Pius, he said the average Christian is the most penetratingly critical uh, individual. Uh, and, and, you know, people say, well, Christians are so judgmental. Well, I'll tell you what, um, if that's average Christianity, then Lord help all of us to live way above average because um, judging others will not only hurt our own soul and our own witness, um, it'll lead many people away from the gospel. And so it is, it is a huge issue for us to try to stay on top of. Yeah, I think one of the things you mentioned that Jesus went and did was he withdrew and prayed. And we have to be careful because we can't do anything. You know, it's Jesus that does it. He might use us as a tool, but it's God that uses, you know, that makes those the, the makes the person change the heart makes the person come to him. You know, we could be the tool that's used, but it's God that does everything. We can't do it. And I think one of the biggest things that we forget about is, is that going and praying. I mean, we might have more impact being away from somebody, but yet praying for them and an impact on their lives than if we were around them all the time. And so that's the thing that I guess is the weapon that we need to use more is prayer because that could move mountains and move mountains in the heart of man and we never know what that might be, you know, uh, what the change might be. And we may never see the outcome of our prayer for somebody. And, and so as we sit and we think about that, the idea of prayer, 
you know, that's pretty important and significant and something that we should probably engage because it is something that we can utilize because again, knowing that, and, and the thing that hurts me the most or kind of gets to me is that when people, and I don't want to really point out pastors, but it's kind of like, you know, I built a church. I had all these people come to come to Christ and I grew this church to 30,000 people or whatever it is. Right, well, right, okay, exactly. You might have been used, but come on. Yeah. You know, God did that. Yeah. And, and, and that's like us. So, so again, when Amen. Jesus withdrew and he went and yeah. prayed, that's what we can do. You know, we might be able to withdraw and pray for somebody and God changes their heart. And then we can still be around them and stuff, but the prayer might actually be more important and be more powerful and more of a um, of, of a weapon to use, so to speak, than just even being around the people. Well, I think so, absolutely, son. I mean, you know, you know, it's been said that you know people may you know not want to hear you know the message that we bring, or they may not even like us or want to be near us, but they're defenseless against our prayers, you know, and so. Um, whoever we're praying for, a relative, friend, whoever it might be, um, an unsaved loved one or somebody we know, um, man, uh, there's just no limit to what God can do in answer to prayer. So when we catch a vision for that thought and then we begin to implement it, um, you're exactly right. And, and it's a reminder, too, isn't it, to what you just said, and that is, you know, ultimately it's not about what we can do or bring to them. It's only what God can do. You know, I think about Paul who just, you know, he said, hey, you know, you know, whether one is planting and other is walking, only God makes things grow. And, and so we just want to walk with that awareness that even if God does bless, you know, the, the work that we're doing for him, it's all Jesus. And, um, you know, he's the one that's bringing it about to the power of the Holy Spirit. Talking with Dan Delzell, talking about uh, Jesus. Did he social distance, and what does that mean? And and in this day and age, when we hear social distancing, we think about moving away, keeping separated from everybody. But really, social distancing, when it comes in terms of Jesus, is not about who he was distancing himself from that was bad. It was who he was distancing himself from, or more or less on the flip side, who he was hanging out with that really needed to hear. One of the things that... Um, I kind of like, but I kind of get frustrated with is people like to throw out John three sixteen a lot. And I, and that's perfect. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But I think it's missed because I think you need to tag 17 on with it because God sent his son, not in the world to condemn the world, but that the world yeah. through him might be saved. Condemnation and judgment will come. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think that's yeah. our job. Our job is to love, to share the gospel. And that doesn't mean we have to roll over and, you know, because there are some people out there, some churches and some pastors and some people and some doctrine and some theology that is just mm-hmm. wrong. And so we don't have to yeah. lay, and, and, and that's the misnomer. People thought Jesus was just this pacifist. That's not the case. You know, we can stand up, we can fight, we can take action, but we have to do it in a loving way. And so when we talk about that, it's, when we talk about love, it's not the, you know, Sorry if you grew up in the 60s and we're hippie, but it's not the hippie, peace-loving thing that we feel. Right, it, it, right. It's, it's the love that we love you so much that yeah. we, might, we on earth might not have to die on the cross for you, our friends, but we're yeah. going to care for you so much that we're going to be concerned with your spiritual well-being that we're going to be there. And how we're going to be there might be by our example. It might be at times where we hang out. might be times where we don't hang out because of the activity that you're involved with. You know, who knows? Everybody has to make up their own mind. But yeah. but yeah. we have to remember that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him. And so I think right now we're in that saving, you know, period. We're in that time where we need to be reaching out people and trying to draw them in and not push them away because at some point that's going to be God's, you know, um, we can let people know what they're doing might be wrong, but that's God's, uh, place to judge. And we should be at that point where we're trying to draw people in. And again, it goes back to, and we've, we've talked about it several times, you know, when missionaries went into India, they did not go into India and start Bible thumping people. They started opening clinics and medicine and helping people and just doing all these things. And then the, yeah. the people of India were like, who are these people? Why are they different? Hey, why are you different? Right. Why aren't you like the rest of the people here? Oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And then that changed people and it changed a nation. And there's a lot of people yeah. I know that are Christians, true Christians that have come from India because of that history of the missionaries going yeah. And that's what we need to be like. We need to be the people that can, you know, have that friendship, have that integrity, and then let them know this is what I believe and why you should believe it that's too. Right. That's right. That's right. And it's like people, you know, will say, and it's so true, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and so it does. It opens up the door for the, uh, of a witness. It opens up the door for us and to tell people in love um, hey, you know, as an ambassador for God, you know, I'm, I'm no better than you or whatever. I'm just called to let you know that God wants you on his team. He wants you in his family. He wants you in heaven. And even when we, even when we share with them that important verse you just mentioned, Son, like uh, in John three seventeen, that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We, you know, we, we, we let people know that we have a responsibility to let them know what that means. You know, the world will look at that, and the world might say, what like the uh, the head of a large mainline de- uh, denomination uh, was quoted as saying, uh, interviewed here by uh, a Chicago newspaper, and uh, and she was asked. I guess she's the head bishop of their um, denomination. Uh, she was asked if she thought that um, that hell is real, and and uh, she's quoted as saying, "Well, you know, maybe, but if so, there's nobody there." Okay, so that's the understanding of well, see, God didn't come to condemn, you know. But, but the biblical understanding is God doesn't want you to be condemned. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All men, women, you know, young people, everybody. Um, but that heaven and hell are real. And here's the thing, my friend. There, there, is, there is something that's an even higher priority to God than you going to heaven. Okay? It's very important that you, that you wrap your mind around this. Okay? There is something that's an even higher priority. Uh, so, so uh, as much as God wants you to go to heaven, okay, a higher priority for God is this, that you take him at his word, okay? Um, and this is why, sadly, um, there are still so many people who will spend eternity in hell, not because God didn't love them, not because they couldn't have gotten into paradise, but it was because they didn't take God at his word. And God's word, Jesus' first sermon was very simple, repent and believe the good news. That is, turn from sin, turn to God, change your mind about the direction you're going to live, receive the free gift of God's forgiveness and eternal life, repent and believe, trust that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross, and that through his death, um, your sin is forgiven by his blood. He died and rose again, so you could live forever with him in heaven. This is the good news. So that's that's the whole thing that you need to be told. Um, and that's what, you know, not only Son and I, but, but you know, so many Christians in the world are, are willing to tell you, unlike the, the head of that mainline denomination who is clueless, who is clueless. Uh, so what, am I supposed to think that she knows better than Jesus? When she says, well, maybe hell exists, but if so, uh, it's empty. Well, I don't know what Bible she's reading. It, it's not It's not the Holy Bible. 
I don't know what book she's looking at. Um, heaven is real. Hell is real. Christ loves you. Um, and it just comes to prove. It just comes to prove that Satan is also alive and carrying out his work. Many times, uh, even through religious people, like we've already seen today, in uh, you know, did Jesus practice social distancing? He, Satan was working through those Pharisees, and anybody that tries to tell you that there's nobody in heaven or nobody in hell, nobody going there, um, well, you know what? Um, let them try telling that to Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, um, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, my friend today, you would be wise to just talk to Jesus today. Um, he'll meet you where you're at, okay? He'll meet you where you're at. He won't condemn you. That's something Simon and I have been trying to just drive home today in this talk, that he won't condemn you. He will receive you. The day of condemnation is coming, however. The courtroom is coming um, for those who refuse, you know, to, uh, to bow their knee to Jesus, who refuse to believe. Um, who refuse to stop, you know, um, rejecting. And, and so we say this to you in love, that God loves you, um, but he is also holy and he's perfect. And if you refuse to accept Jesus's payment for your sin, then you'll leave God with no other, no other option. I mean, God's already told us what those options are. He's not going to change his mind. You know, uh, he says, if you'll take me at my word, that's a higher priority for God. Remember, you're going to heaven. If you'll take me at my word. Um, just accept, accept this free gift, you know, turn your life over to me and, uh, and he'll do the rest. And like the people that stroll down Colorado Boulevard on new year's day before the Rose parade, hell's hot. Don't go. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. No, but, uh, and the other thing too, as we wrap things up here, it's the other thing too, is, um, you, you, you mentioned other things out there. People can always, you know, like you mentioned, does somebody know something more than what Jesus? I know there's a lot of books out there and people like to read this and follow that and stuff like that. And that's fine. Do what you want. But if the Bible doesn't back it, then it's not real. It's not true. If you're reading something right. and it's not backed by the Bible because the Bible is the word of God, that's the only thing that you really need to know anything and everything about God and scripture and Christianity and everything we're talking about. But if you're reading other people's things, interpretations, uh, stories, books, whatever the case may be, if the Bible yeah. doesn't back it, That's right. then it's not real. It's not truth. Well, yeah. I, you know, it's not, it would be like if anybody wanted to know what somebody thought about them or what somebody's views were, well, read, you know, listen to what they say or read what they write. Okay. And so what San just said, my friend, is that, you know, the Bible, these 66 books that God gave us, um, you know, over a period of about 1,500 years, uh, by, uh, you know, 40, written down by 40 different authors. Um, this is God's love letter, you know, to his people. And so the only question that remains is, do you want to be one of God's people? Do you want to hear from God? Do you want to converse with God? Do you want to meet with God? Do you want to be forgiven by God? Do you want to be in his family? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Or do you want to just live life on your own? And, and the Bible says that those who choose to go their own way, they're not alone. They're in the dominion of darkness. They're under the control of Satan, under his power. They don't realize it, of course. Most of them, most some. I mean, you've got some, you know, flaming Satanists, you know, who who proudly, you know, talk about worshiping Satan. But 99.9% of the people who are under the control of Satan don't know it. And they would be shocked. I mean, Jesus even told some of the religious leaders that his day, get this. He said, you, you, you want to... Um, you know, worship your father, the devil. If you want to be with him. I mean, imagine that. Uh, you know, here they thought they were the cream of the crop spiritually. And Jesus said, no, you, you belong to your father, the devil, he said. Um, so imagine hearing that from Jesus. But I'm just saying, my friend, 
um, you get to choose today whose team you want to be on. And, and, and God's love letter is, is a beautiful, a beautiful collection of 66 books, old and new Testament. And, and, uh, you know, I would, I would encourage you to start maybe with the gospel of John, maybe start right there. The gospel of John, read through it once, twice, three times. Um, it'll make more sense to you. It's soak in it, you know, just let it fill your spirit, fill your heart, fill your mind. Start with the gospel of John, read the whole thing. Spend some time during this lockdown uh, doing what matters more than anything else. Because this lockdown is going to eventually end. But but heaven and hell are forever. Uh, the celebration in heaven never ends. Lockdown in hell never ends. The joy in heaven is, is beyond anything we can understand. The pain in hell, um, it never comes to an end. Uh, now, I didn't make that up. Simon didn't make that up. Uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't even have voted for that, you know. But 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 that's so far above my pay grade, you know. Um, I mean, but see, but see, I'm not I'm I'm not God. I'm not you know God is perfect in holiness. So his his punishment for sin is is so far greater than we can fathom. His grace and love and mercy, the sinners is so far greater that he would send his only son. So you don't need to get hung up on I don't get heaven, I don't get hell. Who does? You think we do? You know, think Christians get it? No, but we believe it, we accept it, and we know from God's word that these are real places. That doesn't mean that we can just fully wrap our mind around all the, well, why is it this? And, you know, why will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell? And, and, you know, why, 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 why? Well, the only thing that I can remember on that, my friend, in Scripture is that God wants something even more than people in heaven. And like I said, it's, it's, it's that we take him at his word. And when Adam and Eve stopped taking God at his word, that's what happened. Satan got the best of them. They ate of the fruit. The rest is history, okay? So um, we can learn. We can learn. And thankfully, we've got God's love letter to teach us a whole lot uh, about what it means to love God, to know God, and to be with God forever. Dan Delzell, author at the Christian Post. Many articles there. You can just go to Christian uh, christianpost.com and search his name, and articles pop up. Also, pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate it. The topic today was Jesus and social distancing. And I think we've all learned that, you know, Jesus did not distance himself from what would be contermed or would be uh, deemed as the undesirables of this world. In fact, that's where he spent most of his time and that we need to bring the church to the people and not wait for the people to come to the church. Um, Your uh, email, people want to reach out. Uh, it's just Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at Cox.net, or they can search for a Redeemer, a church in Papillion, Nebraska, C-I-L-L-I-O-N. I've got some YouTube uh, messages on there, especially during this lockdown that they could check out. And uh, and then just plenty of articles at the ChristianPost.com, uh, and uh, any of those resources would be available. And my name is Son Edom. Check me out on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, next time when we can further these conversations. Oh, thank you, Son. I should look forward to it as well. And for you listening, we appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.